0: Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, As a Southerner who lives in the Northeast, I cannot be happier to be in Texas right now. Thank you all. We are going to be discussing today a lot about content creation for particularly underrepresented people. In this case, Black voices in content creation. So I want to introduce our panelists today, starting uh, with our with uh, immediately next to me. Manira Sophia Jones is an NAACP Image Award-winning nominated writer, filmmaker, and executive producer. She's the creator of Juntland, a viral animated web series about dating and relationships, Sincerely Camille, the first animated short-form series for the OWN Network, and The Mound, OWN's first animated series, currently in development based on Memphis's Orange Mound, the first neighborhood in the history of America built for and by black people. Dominic Lawson is an award-winning producer and entrepreneur. He serves as a podcast host, producer, and editor of Black Is America, an African-American history podcast. He also serves in the same role at Meadows Behavioral Healthcare, creating content for the shows Beyond Theory and Recovery Replay. Nori is an award-winning multimedia personality and marketing consultant. She has expanded her media portfolio to include producing films, such as Black Icarus, post-production, and the Art of Birth documentary, in production, featuring Moo Moo Fresh, a Grammy-nominated artist out of Baltimore, raised in DC. Currently, she's an on-air personality with with Odyssey, a WPGC 95.5 broadcasting in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. So to start us off today, I want to ask you all about your insights and experiences across hopefully three scales. The personal, the industry, and if we have time, I want us to talk about the craft itself for our, for our members of the audience. So i want to start us with the question of when was the moment that you knew you could do this professionally? And what of your experience has been the single greatest challenge you've encountered thus far? We'll start here.
1: Well, I would say creatively, I I feel like I've always had the juice. I've always had the talent. The discipline? Yes. The discipline is something else. I never had the discipline. It took me going viral and networks coming to me to force me into this profession. And it was the best thing that could have happened to me. It's, it's a double-edged sword, which we'll get into later, but... I think the challenge still is my discipline my consistency yeah,
2: yeah, so yeah um good morning everybody uh, i think for me when so I started podcast in 2016 and was just growing the show and stuff like that and then once i booked the co-founder of netflix for the startup life and being in the business community you bit you book mark randolph from netflix that says something mm-hmm. that, that's that that fulcrum point if you will and so and start Uh, interviewing more people from there and then when the Meadows was like hey uh, we see what you're doing with the startup life we want you to do that for us and we'll pay you and I was like okay you cutting (laughs) checks out here for podcasting all right let's do it so that's when I knew okay we're we're building something here and uh, it was just a really cool thing but that's that's the moment I knew like yeah we can be out here getting these podcast checks
3: (laughs) okay (laughs) yes for checks Um, For me, it was when I moved away from home, new city, no friends, and I was like, okay, we gonna ride this talent out and see if I got what it takes. And I secured my first full-time position in Baltimore. And then in communications itself, you know, it's like you get a call and they're like, okay, you're a micro social media influencer. You know, BET says, hey, can you put together some skits for social media? Then Google hits me and is like, hey, would you beta test some products? And I'm like... Yes, once again, getting checks uh, with, with what you're passionate about. But also, when you have companies seeking your talent, it's like, okay, we're on to something. Like, this is something I, I can go full force in and maintain a living. And so I was excited about that.
0: And your challenges? Mm-hmm.
3: I would say uh, one of the, cha- the biggest challenge is being secure in who you are. Uh, One of the things we do is when there's a trend and it's catchy and it's popping, you're like, oh, well, maybe I should jump on that bandwagon. You don't like you literally can create your own trend and people will jump on your bandwagon. So that was the biggest thing for me is to be like, okay, wait, this is what my audience enjoys. This is what I enjoy. And when you put out content that you're very confident in, um, then it's very natural. It's not hard. It's not like, oh, I got to do this work. It just flows.
0: So as we're talking about not losing our voices, you all at this point have navigated major networks, major platforms, studios, producers, contractors, et cetera. Can you tell us about a time where you had to put your foot down? Like, What was the hard no for you and how did you feel about that and navigating that?
1: I feel like Hollywood is the land of no. It is like the state (laughs) capital of hell no. So I've heard a lot of no's. I think, specifically, a a situation that happened with me was I started pitching Juntland, my web series, as a full animated series. So I went to all the major networks, any of the major networks that you're thinking about right now, I went there, I pitched it. Everybody loved it. Everybody thought it was bold and irreverent and funny. Everybody said no, because, um, you know, black people don't do animation. People won't get it. Animation is the white man's genre. I heard everything. I eventually got a yes from Netflix. They bought the show. Um, and we went and wrote the pilot. They loved the pilot. And then there was a regime change at Netflix. Mm-hmm. And they completely mm. obliterated the animation mm. department. And there was a new mandate. And it was any new... And they, they asked you know, shows that were in mid-production, mm-hmm. three, four episodes in. Mm-hmm. And the new mandate was that any new animated series had to appeal to white men. Which was... The old, ulti- like- that was it. That was the mandate. Like, it was the ages. They didn't say white men.
0: But they, you knew what
3: they But it, it was white.
1: Men. So, um, it was a no. But I like to, this may sound cliche, but everything is so cyclical mm-hmm. that eventually animation will come back around and it'll be, the, it'll be the it thing. So, it's really not looking at it as a no. It's like, it's literally just not right now. Yeah. Because of some of your favorite shows, people said no to them for 10, 15, 20 years. And then they eventually. Yeah. Um, they eventually became your favorite shows, yeah. so that's kind of how I like to look at the nose. Yeah, just not right now.
2: <laughs> it actually, for me, came recently. Uh, so when I was doing one style of show, uh, and then switched to another style of show, and so the style of show I do now, which is Black is American Beyond Theory, is that NPR narrative storytelling format and so when it, when you talk about NPR in that style is you know there's a lot of like I'm just gonna say a little stiffness yeah. if you will right let's just call a spade a spade it's a little stiffness it's very formal it's we very NPR's voice oh no we do pass the hour right <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> And so I, I, I took that format, but I put my own seasoning on it, right? And so yeah. with that came a little bit of backlash, like this is not what this is for. this is yeah. you no know, you know they're over they're, they're not looking at the fact that it's a format. They're looking at it like, no, this is what you're yeah. supposed to do. And so people were commenting on uh, maybe how it was uh, pronunciating you know, enunciating things and stuff like that. you know so but it's like that's how I talk. that that's my culture, right? Like It's almost like you're trying to strip that yeah. from me. And so, you know, it really came from the audience. And they was like, you know what? We like this. No, you, you speak to us. You share history the way we want to hear it. No, you do you. And, and so those were one of those things. I was like, now nah, I'm going to put my foot down because the audience, which is, to me, the most important part of all of this, yeah. the audience was like, no, nah, you keep doing what you're doing. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, they caught on. Now you can hear black southern voices
3: on NPR. Absolutely. I hear Aisha Roscoe, you know, Gene Denby. I absolutely. Also.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
3: Um, I would say for me, when I started to
2: um,
3: enter into film festivals, it's like you're excited, you have this product, you put your heart and soul into this work and you're so excited for the opportunity for the world to see it. And post the pandemic, it was just like, yeah, we're doing online premieres. And it's like, I don't want my film to be premiered online. I want Mm -hmm. people to experience it. I want to talk to people. I want to get your raw feedback in real time in person. And so there were some film festivals that were like, yeah, you we like, we like, we like your film, um, we'll, you, we'll feature it. And we said no, because we didn't want to do our world premiere online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was hard, because it was some really great festivals. And I'm looking at the director, and he's looking at me at the pr- as the producer, and he's like, so what are we going to do? And I'm like, we gonna, we gonna stick with it. We gonna stick with the plan. And so that was difficult as a creative wanting to get out this story that you've worked so hard on in the past year and you've got it to this place of, okay, we want people to consume it and digest it and, you know, let's go. But it was just a lot of people wanting to just premiere on, or festivals wanting to premiere online and we said no. And so we're still in the circuit right now, uh, but we're, we're getting great feedback. Mm-hmm. And so we're gonna keep going until we get what we want.
0: So since we've talked about, you know, the when you had to put your foot down, and it sounds like for some of you you understood that that was, a, that was a just right now, foot down, et cetera. Can you tell us about a time when you had to navigate compromises? And this can include compromises you regret. But how do you do compromising and also managing your integrity in that?
1: Um, I feel like as a writer, it is constant compromise, I was accustomed to just writing by myself before I you know, stepped into this other world. But when you're co-writing, it, it is a personal struggle of mine because I'm so specific in how I create my world and how I build characters. Um, to have another person there to say, ah, oh, maybe not that way, but maybe, maybe we'll go in this direction, is humbling and it, it is a real struggle. Also notes from producers is... Oh. My God, I hate it. But I also have to realize that um, I may have some blind spots. So that's how I I kind of like to look at it, that compromise.
2: Very similar, uh, because there was an episode I did for The Meadows on Beyond Theory. It was our uh, season finale, Uh, and we focused on racialized trauma in black America. Uh, And so this was right around the time, Tyree Nichols uh, in Memphis. And I shared a clip of a pastor sharing his frustration with, you know, why only the five black officers were being, you know, uh, arrested and nobody else was. And so I got one of those producer notes, right? And she was saying, you know, Dominic, remember the audience that Beyond Theory is for, And, you know, and most of them are white and they may feel a little threatened by that. And so the only thing I did was like I shortened the clip, but I didn't get rid of the clip. You know what I mean? Because the thing is, what we know in the black community is that the black church has been a refuge. Right. And so I wanted to share that that experience and that frustration in that piece because it was important for all of America to understand, like, we've been saying these things for a long time and that audience for Beyond Theory hadn't heard that before. Yeah. And so I I had to put my foot down on that. I was like, no, this has to stay. Yeah. I'll, I'll shorten the clip so it's, it doesn't feel so bad, but I, this has to stay. Yeah.
3: So I would say it was before Black Lives Matter was a movement, and it was just a hashtag. Mm -hmm. And I remember going on. This is um, I'm a radio personality, so I go on a radio and I talk about just the importance of making sure that we're protecting each other, and we are, you know, really standing in our own and owning our space. Of we deserve to be here, we deserve to have this wonderful life. This American dream is ours too. And I remember um, I was also doing traffic. And I go on this rant, I record my traffic break, and then at the very end, (laughs) I'm still talking about Black Lives Matter. And this goes on to other stations that's not just the hip-hop station. The owner comes busting through the door, and he's like... What are you talking about? And I was like, black folks. Black lives. <laughs> Interceptions. And congestion. And, and so black folks. <laughs> it was a moment where I was like, oh, you about to lose your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're about to fire you. Because, you know, again you know, the Ricky Smiley Morning Show is on, and they're going in, yeah. and I'm going in, and so it's this local aspect, it's this syndicated aspect, this all intersecting, and in and, and, and getting caught up, I was like, okay, but you have to also speak to other stations, other genres, yeah. that, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, are not privy yet to yeah. really Every what's happening. Yeah, other yeah, <laughs> stations are like, Black Lives Matter, what's that? Because, again, it's just a hashtag at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if honestly, if you're not really Paying attention to what's happening mainstream or, you know, some people are under rocks. Let's just keep it what it is. If you're not paying attention, then you are thrown off. Just like the traffic with black lives matter. <laughs> so, again, I think, I think for me, it was understanding. It's a time and place for everything. But also, like, do your job, right? I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to stand by what I'm saying. And I meant what I said because I said it. But also, like, wait a minute, sis. Slow down. You're moving too fast. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So
0: with that, switching gears to talking a little bit about the industry itself, what is your view of where black content creation is headed and changes you'd like to see or even precautions to be aware of in terms of how the industry is treating black content? Um, I think
1: black creatives are always at the, the forefront of innovative works. Like we, we set the trends. Um, I think that with social media and streaming, um, it's, it's a lot easier to get um, whatever you want out there.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think we haven't seen the full breadth of our genius yeah. because of gatekeeping, yeah, honestly. Absolutely. But I think we're seeing more of it for those reasons, yeah. streaming, social media, and with works, like, with works from people like Jordan Peele and, yeah, yeah. and Donald Glover. I would love yeah. to see More animation or any animation, you know, in the black space. I would love to get away from this idea that it's just for white men because it's not. That is why I'm literally on this stage is because Negroes were watching my animation. So,
0: um, yeah, white men are not the best at it. Exactly. So,
1: I would I would love to see us in an animated, you know,
2: world. To Add on to what Manera was talking about. I, I interviewed somebody for Black Is America, and she said that one thing about Black folks is that we have a cheat code, mm-hmm. a- a- and it's a cheat code that not every, you know, everybody has. And so, while there are these barriers and these and these mm-hmm. adversarial moments, for some reason, it still rises to the top. It still finds its way mm-hmm. uh, out there. And, and so, with that being said, yes, there are the gatekeepers, like Manera was saying. But I I just want us to know that, like, you can create what you want to create, be authentically you, and still get this money. Like, there's still a bag out here for you. It may take a little bit longer. And, yes, those gatekeepers are challenging. Like, I I hate that it's there. Like, we're still – we're on this stage, but we're still facing those gatekeepers. Uh, But I would just say that, like, keep making your content, keep making what you like to do, uh, but also know that – no, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was lost my train of thought. Oh, so I just go to, uh, oh, no God. worry, I'm sorry. If it come back, let me know.
3: So I I think what's important is we have to monetize. There are subscriptions. There are so many ways that we can capitalize off of our content that we just miss the boat a lot of times. And so whether you are a micro-influencer, you have hundreds of thousands of followers, wherever you fall in that spectrum, your content is important and you have an audience. And so I think when we think in, okay... How can we make sure that we're moving the needle, we're pushing the envelope, but we're also, once again, figuring out we're the trendsetters. trendsetters. We are the ones that are the waymakers. makers. We yeah. really yeah. do kind of push forward what's next. Mm-hmm. If you want to know what's next, uh, go to the hood. I mean, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Go, go to a neighborhood that is yeah. underserved um, and you are going to find people that are making a way out of no way. I love when I see the videos on social media of yeah. the kids in Africa and they're reenacting these major Hollywood production yeah. films <laughs> in their backyard. Yeah. And it's the it's the imagination of it all. And it is the, we're going to make this happen no matter what. And I think you find a way a lot of times when you don't have the resources you create your own yeah. space and your own lane and that's what we've been doing for a lot of times but yeah. we need to monetize that and get those subscriptions yeah. and i think that's really gonna push us to to do better and and i also say this fanbase is a platform that is black owned yeah. it is minority owned right. and it is a wonderful way to monetize your content i always yeah. push that because isaac hayes he, he's a thought leader. Mm-hmm. And he's like, listen, if we're making money and we're, mm-hmm. you know, you have a million followers mm-hmm. and you're not able to reach all of those people because they want you to monetize your content. Mm-hmm. They want you to buy um, ads, mm-hmm. advertising. So of course it's not reaching all of the people that it could, but we have to use platforms that are not necessarily as popular, but you're mm-hmm. gonna get the most out of that platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with
0: that, you know, I want to, for our audience to understand and any of you can take this, what makes it black content? Is it that it's created by a black person, which I do not think that necessarily makes it black content. Is it that an audience is in mind? I mean, I, we have seen black content that I don't consider anti-racist at all, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, there's plenty of black content that treads in stereotypes about black people, much to our demise. What makes it black content for you?
1: I think when it just speaks to me culturally, um, like, for example, the color purple. It was written by Alice Walker, but it yeah. was directed by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have told me that yeah. a, yeah. a, a yeah. white Jewish guy directed yeah. Yeah. the color purple because <laughs> yeah. it it probably speaks to every black person yeah. in this yeah. maybe white as well. So I think if it just speaks to me, mm-hmm. if I can recognize, if I can see my aunt, my uncle, my mm-hmm. brother, like whoever, mm-hmm. to me, that's what makes it
0: yeah, yeah,
2: black AF.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: so. I, I think just to. Uh, add to that and to kind of Nori's point who also who owns it because oh, yeah. th- th- yeah. that, that that's a big piece yeah. because like for years and years and h- hundreds of years like our talent our our creativity has been monetized by people who don't look like us mm-hmm. so and, and that's a problem and so just to add to that that that's a big piece of it too
3: mm-hmm. um black content I do think it is the creator of the content um, I think I definitely agree with is How does it resonate? Do I see myself uh, in this content? But I think also, like, yeah, the, the baseline. What, like, where does it come from? What is the essence of what it is that, that's viral? Or, you know, like, because I think a lot of times, I mean, we can even go to TikTok with the dances, right? Yeah. Child. <laughs> Listen, you have people that are getting reality shows off of TikTok dances that they stole, that they just happen to be scrolling and mimic every move, and now they're getting shows. So let's keep it a book. I think think black content is created by black folks. I think black content is mimic. Like, it's mimic. It's the... It's the voice that we use that goes yeah. viral. Like, it's yeah. black. You know a black person when you hear them. Yeah. Like, you know. And you also know, again, if it's from your culture, if it's not from yeah. your culture, mm-hmm. if it's something that you're borrowing, stealing, plagiarizing, like, you know if it's yours or not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like the, the FUBU principle, the for us, <laughs> by us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So. So we've talked about,, you know, not losing your voice. I want to ask you also about not losing your audience, right? Because I think in what we're hearing that this connection you have as a content creator, making things that you want to reach specific audiences, One I want to tell you is who do you have in mind when mm-hmm. you're creating? I mean you know, clearly you've been pushed to you know make stories for, you know, oftentimes, I think all black creatives are asked to make universal stories which means to take the blackness out of them mm-hmm. uh, which I love Tony Morrison's response of I never asked Tolstoy to write for me right mm-hmm. I never asked you know I never asked James Joyce to write for me right How do you keep in mind the audience that you want to be reached and like who is that for you
1: I try not to keep anybody in mind
0: I, honestly <laughs> if I do that then
1: uh, you know I, I tend to create from a place of what will make me cackle? What, you know, what kind of worlds w- am I drawn to? What kind of characters would I be rooting for? And then I go from there because that's what they want. They want some something from your heart, from your mind that may or may not directly resonate with them. Like Harry Potter, I
0: I love Harry Potter.
1: I, I don't know anything about magic, but I know like <laughs> the human con oh, yeah. the human condition that he faced. So. I try, not to, I try not to think about an audience, to yeah. be completely honest. Sometimes you're forced into those parameters, mm-hmm. and you just have to do the best that you can. Mm-hmm. But honestly, create from what you want, what you would want to see on the screen, is, is my biggest piece of advice. So.
2: I create for what I'm seeking. Because with Black as America, for the longest time, when you hear the story of America, I mean, it's cliche, but you rarely hear us. And when you do hear us, it's, it's, it's the Holy Trinity of black history, Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman. Like that's, that's the Trinity, right? And so, and, and while those stories are important to tell, let me be clear about that, those stories are important to tell. But I want, where's the hero? Where's the person who came through and saved the day? I want, I want somebody who looks like me to tell that story. That's why when we started Black as America, We started with John Fox, the Army veteran who called military fire on himself to save the day. Like, who's balls enough to do that, right? And so that's somebody who looks like me. And so being a military veteran myself, I'm I'm creating for that person who's seeking that affirmation, who's seeking that, you know what, I can be a race car driver. I can be a military hero. I can be a fashion designer. Like, I want to create those stories. And so people have resonated with that. So I'm creating for what I'm seeking. Absolutely. I create for me.
3: Uh, (laughs) And when I say me, it is um, really what I've grown up wanting to see, what I've grown up wanting to be, um, others that have been great role models. Um, Yeah, so when I create content Nori, do you want to listen to this? Would you listen to yourself talk for an hour? Would you listen to yourself talk about this subject matter for an hour? Mm-hmm. Would you be comfortable with this information going viral? Because it, it's the moments where you're like, "That's just for me, and it goes viral. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, my gosh. Okay, so everybody's talking about this in a way that I didn't imagine it could blow up. So I do. I, I think about... Nori from Chattanooga, Tennessee, in the South, my southern experiences, my lens and now being on the East Coast and that's a whole different experience within itself. I'm like, oh yeah, we definitely think different. We definitely move in different. So, those transitions in my life that I've experienced and, you know, how do I want to receive that information? That's how I think about my audience. It's me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So in that, you know, I I I've heard you all say, uh, you know, a, a number of your experiences. I would describe as keeping your authenticity in what you're doing. Um, you know, with with the challenges of navigating that, can you tell us about what you see as the connection between your authenticity as a black voice and your authority as a black voice? Because you all actually experts in what you do, right? You all are, you know, heavily researching things. You're prepping. So what is it about, you know? In that sort of relationship with an industry, what do they need to understand about how your audiences hear you as an authority on these issues?
3: Mm. So um, it's funny because I'm a communications girl, like I'm a radio girl. So I think in quick, concise thoughts. I think in, um, you know, how do I want to get this information out in a way that is going to be very digestible very quickly. Because it's a micro-society, right? Yeah. Don't, don't people, unless you are enthralled and you are dedicated, like, mm-hmm. you're, you're taking it in small doses. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the things I think is important is understanding that the industry is ever-changing. And so you have to evolve and be willing to be water and be fluid and mold and, and shift a little bit. And I, I think that's what's really been important for me. yeah. yeah.
2: For me, it's the exact opposite, uh, I, I, because I, I'm, you know, as a uh, nonfiction narrative podcaster, I, I, I go on the long journey. I, I go on that, 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 that path, if you will, and that's what's resonating with my audience. You know, we just recently saw Edison Research that said that more Black people listen to history podcasts if it's a person who looks like them. Oh, wow telling these stories because they can identify with them. And so I I love to take you on a journey, put you in the tower of John Fox, put you in the race car of Wendell Scott. And that's, that's how I pull it off. That's how I pull it off.
1: One thing I've learned uh, in dealing with Hollywood is that executives are stupid. Um, They really don't know anything. Um, So if you tell them exactly what you want and what it's going to be, yeah, my experience, it is, it's kind of worked out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just have that conviction. Know yeah. exactly what you want. Practice it. Pitch it. Yes. Um, over and over and over again so they can't knock you off of, of your lane. Yeah. Because they will try. Yeah. They will try to do whatever they can to get what they want, what they think the audience wants. Okay. When, honestly, the audience wants you. They need you. Absolutely. So.
0: So, yeah. you know, there is a lot of kind of social responsibility that I think a lot of marginalized content creators feel in terms of like even, you know, protecting stories about our communities, telling whole stories, trying to humanize people in our communities because, you know, as you know, we've discussed, there is a history in our country of consuming black people purely as entertainment, especially uh, minstrelsy, right? And there was a time in America in the 20th century when the dominant form of entertainment Was minstrelsy if you said you were going to a theater it was white people consuming the humiliation degradation and mocking of black people right this was the former entertainment all your grandparents did it all right so with that how do you actually protect black stories like what sort of responsibility do you all feel in your work to humanize the voices of people you're talking about to present characters that are rounded, um, to present stories, you know, historically that are nuanced and rounded? What is that like?
2: First of all, it's the utmost responsibility. And so what we do is, like, in in podcasting, and especially with a lot of history podcasts that I just loathe, um, they present these facts and these figures. And, like, yeah, this is the date, this is when it happened, X, Y, Z. But when I'm telling you a story, I'm telling you about... um, some of the, uh, some of the uh, people were focusing on favorite hobbies. Um, I'm focusing on their kids, what their aspirations were, those philosophies. So that way, by the time of the end of the story, you're invested. When you, when you hear the end of the story of, of a Henry Johnson, you've learned about you know, him growing up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And so when he passes away because you know, the United States government didn't treat him right because they didn't give him his severance packages and stuff like that, you're angry. You're angry, and you feel some type of way, like, this man did all this stuff, and this, you know, so you, you humanize them by make sure you're telling those little side stories. You go on those side missions and humanize the, the, the black experience. Yeah,
1: absolutely, I would say making sure that you remain vigilant in your vision, knowing exactly when to say no, because you, yeah. there are going to be instances where you have to say no, where you'll have to walk away, because your vision is turning into something that you don't recognize anymore, and you don't want to go down that path. And we've seen that happen. Yeah, time and time and time again. Yes. And you've seen the ones who've stayed.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right,
1: yeah. um, Sometimes it's become more lucrative for them, but at what cost? Yes. So it's it's really just about, like I said, remaining vigilant about – what you know you want yes. to create. Mm-hmm.
0: And often they stayed and their audience has left, right? Exactly. Black audiences will leave you once yeah. they feel as though you are no longer authentic mm-hmm. to black people.
4: That's true.
0: So with that, explaining to our audience, particularly, you know, young people, anyone who wants to get into these lanes, what does audience engagement mean for you all? You're doing so much of this with the idea that you're connecting to people on another side. Tell us the actual sort of, you know, the, the brass tacks, the nuts and bolts of what does audience engagement mean for you as content creators? I'm, I'm sure it determines mm-hmm. if you're getting renewed, if you're mm-hmm. getting deals.
3: Um, so I, I do pay attention to the analytics. I actually run reports on mm-hmm. um, what's actually happening behind the scenes on my content, what really captivated people, how engaged they were, the comments. Like, that's something that I actually pay attention to because I do want to know, like, what are people enjoying from me? Mm -hmm. So when I think about engagement and the analytics of it all and the numbers, I'm thinking about the time of day I'm posting. I'm thinking about, uh, was it funny? Did it make people laugh? How, like, when you left... From my page, how did it make you feel? Because you're going to come back for more information. You're going to come back for more of that content. Whether it's thought-provoking, whether it's quick, witty, whimsical, like I'm thinking of how do I want to move forward to inform you? Because a lot of times you can talk about heavy subject matters in a way that don't Feel heavy, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's important too because there's so much heaviness in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, you do want to have something a little more lighter. So, I think when I deal with heavier uh, subject matters, I do keep that on the radio or Mm -hmm. if I'm doing a segment on television, like, I do Mm -hmm. keep those there. But social media, I keep it a little lighter, but I'm always Mm -hmm. in the numbers. I'm always Mm -hmm. digging through my analytics, Mm -hmm. seeing like how responsive people were. Doesn't mean I'm gonna change anything as far as how I'm and what I'm doing, but I do want to know, like, hmm, this is really, this is good. They like that. Mm-hmm. And so I may put out a few more things that are um, in that line. Mm-hmm. It's a double-edged sword for me. I didn't know I had anxiety
1: until I went viral. Um, it's that expectation of creating consistently, yeah. Yeah. consistently on a high level that I think has contributed to a lot of um, the downfall of creatives mental health there's the other side where you have like incredible support i have so many virtual sisters and aunts and brothers that support me and check in on me and it's also great when you can monetize that support um but it's a balance it's it's a it's a really delicate balance for me
2: now you would think as a podcaster I would be like Nori and go through the analytics and downloads. <laughs> Screw them downloads. I don't. I don't care. Screw them downloads. Because the thing is, is like I'm looking for the ROI, not necessarily yeah. the download, yeah. right? And so what I do well, first is start. It's it, there's an internal external part yeah. to it. Internally within the show, there's there's soundscape and the foley and yeah. the music and the in the and the. Uh, Sound effects and yeah. things like that, right? So yeah. that's how we engage internally. Externally, you know, we have a way for people to be a part of the show. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't have like a big budget with like fact checkers and historians, mm-hmm. so I rely on the audience to do that. Like, hey, if you feel like I've said something wrong, let me know. It's and you're right, exactly. And so we have the website where they, up, they can upload audio. They upload audio, and we play that audio on the show. So that way they feel a part of the show as well, and they know that, like, it's, yeah. uh, it's, look, as a content creator, I may produce the show, write the show, this, that, and the other, but it's not mine. It's the audience's, right? And so I want them to take ownership of the audience, and so, I mean, of the show. And so that's one of the ways we, uh, we do that. It just makes them engaged in the show.
0: Let me ask you all with that. Do you think there is a difference in how black audiences engage? Like, do you think that the industry is missing? I mean, so for example, I know how Fox News audience engages. They go to the comment section, right? Is there a difference, do you think, in how the communities you're trying to reach are actually reaching you? I mean, for, you know, for many black creatives, it's like you know, when you walk into the neighborhood, people are gonna tell you if they like your stuff or not, right? How, is, how do you capture that?
3: I think I think a part of it is when when something comes when you put out content and it gets it circles back to you and you're like, wait a minute,
0: yeah, yeah, that's me. Right.
3: Um, <laughs> I think that's that's another way to yeah. kind of gauge it whether I receive it via text message, yeah. um, whether it's you know somebody sharing it, um, DMs like d- memes and DMs is a whole other life, child. Mm-hmm. I live for posting something <laughs> and somebody put a GIF or a meme like then I'm like we're connected. We are, we go on places with this. So I think, I think, you know, it depends on you, uh, you know, as far as what it, what it means for you for that information to, to go out and come back, but share, shares and means our love language. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Go ahead. Oh,
1: well, I would say that I've, I've had people send me screenshots of Tinder profiles where, where my character's are the profile pictures
0: your characters are in these streets they are in the tinder
1: street yes they are Um, but it feels it kind of feels like it feels like a black barbershop or a beauty shop oh that's what it feels like when they share your work yeah um
0: call and response yeah that's what we come from yeah
1: i quite enjoy it when it's positive when it's negative that's a whole other... Yeah,
0: tr- truly. Or, yeah. When, or when it goes left. Exactly. You
1: or know, when they, they take your work and they bastardize it and they, and they edit yeah. and do all kinds yeah. of other stuff to it. That's also a form of engagement, not the kind that it I would prefer, is. but you know, it just means people are actually... It's, re- it's resonating with yeah. people.
0: I so. mean, it, 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 good, <laughs> I, want, I want
2: you to, to follow up on that. No, no, I, I was just going to say, I, I know for me, um, w- my community gets very protective of me yeah. Th- that's they, they start because so when you look at the Black is America uh, cover art, it's it's America, like the shape of America yeah. in red, black, and green. That's triggering for some people, it really is. And so, when I see people co- uh, come for me in the comments section, they're like, Dominic, don't worry about it, we got this. And, and so, when they become very protective yeah. of the brand and yeah. of me, it's like. You know, you you just create, keep making those stories. We go, yeah. we we got you from here. So that's how I think a lot of times, uh, maybe Hollywood or something like yeah. that doesn't see that from our community. Like that's how that we know we have something here. Yeah,
0: you know, absolutely. I mean, you all are far more on the ground in terms of within reach of the people you're creating for. I don't think Spielberg has that problem, right? right. Like this is a thing of like you can't. I think it's happened for all black creatives. You can't really escape these communities. There's a, there's a there's a symbiotic you know relationship to them. So I wanna ask you all a bit about you know, the craft itself. When it comes to, you know, again, navigating your path, navigating your voice in this, how have you ensured that you're not being pigeonholed as a black creator? Because I think this is particularly something that happens to marginalized creators, right? That, that there's an idea of, oh, we expect this sort mm-hmm. of, you know, if, if, you're, you know, if you're a black man doing sports, great, we expect that from black yeah. men, right? How do you not get
1: pigeonholed in your lanes? I don't know that I, that I can prevent that, honestly. Mm-hmm. All I can do is what I can do and I can do a lot. Um, I go back to like social media and, and streaming platforms. I think there's a lot more room to, to do whatever you want and to put it out there. You look at Tubi, which is the hood creator's paradise. <laughs> like there's no I love Tubi. excuse love not to make exactly what you want and get it out there. <laughs> I think more so, like the onus is on the audience yeah. or the consumers not to pigeonhole us because yeah. we're not standing in the pigeonhole line waiting to jump in <laughs> like y'all are pushing <laughs> and, and kicking. Yeah. You know, give people, give artists the the mm-hmm. time to grow, mm-hmm. to do different things. I can remember mm-hmm. when the TLC uh, movie came out and they announced that. Little Mama was going to be playing left eye. She
0: was great at that
1: role. Atlanta was in an uproar. Black Twitter was aghast because they they still had her in that hole of yeah. the damn fool who went on stage and was singing with Jay-Z and so, Alicia Keys. What did she do? What did she do? What did yeah. Little Mama do? She killed yeah, it. So yeah, she killed it. She I did. think it's the audience. I think it's more yeah. so in the audience yeah. and
2: the consumers to
1: you know yeah. chill out. Yeah. Let us yeah. do what we do. We got IP for days. So <laughs> let's
2: do it. What I will say to add to that, not anathematically, anathematically, but to add to that, is when the audience does give you that that grace, take the grace mm-hmm. and try the new things because yeah. I think sometimes yeah. we we do get pigeonholed in those moments. Like, well, this is what they like, yeah. this is what yeah. I got to go with. Uh, I, I know for us, um, one of the things that was important to me. Was to create history content, award winning history content, and award winning mental health content so you can see that the kid got range, right? You know, and so when we switched up to that that narrative style and because i know there's a lot of podcasts out there you know there's a like, lot we got you know it's the photocopy of a kevin samuels doctrine it's the photocopy of a breakfast club doctrine and so it's like so they're not there's not many creatives who look like me out yeah. here like yeah. uh, i want to talk about yeah. recovery and drug addiction yeah. and stuff like that. that pop culture e- you know, exactly like, okay. right and so when we was able to get awards for both, you know, at the same time, it was it was like winning, you know, a, a Grammy with, you know, hip hop and a Grammy in country. Like, that's what, like, so I think as creatives, it's important to, while the audience does give you that that grace, take the grace, take those chances, try some new stuff. And hey, as they say, you know, switch your style up, watch the money pile up.
3: <laughs> so... For me, it's it's funny because you'll see me talking hip-hop. You'll see me talking urban AC. You'll see me talking infrastructure and President Biden um, putting money into roads. So <laughs> all of these things are really important to me. So for me, it was being... It was um, being diverse and being able to pivot. Sometimes entertainment has a slow season and it's not popping and nothing's really happening that speaks to me. So it's like, okay, listen, I have these degrees. I have this information in my mind. How can we make something that's not sexy, sexy? Infrastructure. So (laughs) that's really what I went into and that was my pivot. So you'll see me producing content uh, with the District Department of Transportation. And so that wasn't happening before. And so now it's just like, content is not just this, this, This one thing, or this monolithic thing, or you're not gonna put me in a box of like, she just likes to talk about music. No, Uh I like uh to talk about so many Uh different things, and I'm passionate about so many different things and how we can just improve ourselves as a whole. And so, yeah, I I pivoted for a while. I moved into the infrastructure space, creating content um, that wasn't my norm. I was out of my comfort zone, and I had to get uncomfortable uh, for a little while so that I could really figure out how can. I maneuver when the roller coaster of life happens because right. life is lifing a yeah, lot of us, yeah. and so I was like, Okay, I need another chick, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, that's yeah. what I did, yeah. and, I, and I think that's important.
2: Please go ahead. just to add to that, you know, because when I was doing business and entrepreneurship in uh, the Meadows call, they was like, We just see you as a podcaster, yeah. not a business podcaster, not a whatever podcast, you're a podcaster, which means that, like, you know, you don't have to add that extra this so yeah oh. go ahead. okay I guess I was talking <laughs> too much uh, but no but yeah. but no I, I think you know from a podcast perspective we just remember you are a podcast which means yeah. you can talk about different things so don't pitch yeah. your pitch your whole yourself in that regard so mm-hmm.
0: we have some time left I definitely want to open it up to our audience I see we have a mic here in our center aisle for any of you all who want to ask questions of our panel <laughs> oh here we go hi dear <laughs>
4: Good morning. Good morning. morning. Uh, I'm Dan. I'm a marketing professional out of Houston, Texas. Hi, Dan. And uh, (laughs) H-Town. My question is about a a North Star. So, when you were starting out, who did you want to mirror? Uh
0: Uh-huh. Who's your Uh icon? What a great question. Who did you all sort of emulate? Who did you want to mirror? Who did you want to walk in sort of their, their path?
1: Well, Spielberg was like my newest yeah, star, yeah. but
0: I also, like, i You're a Pixar. I, yeah, you're right. <laughs>
1: you're right. I literally wanted to be like a rock star. I yeah. wanted to, like, Sade, and I wanted to go into the music world. I don't know how I wanted to do it, <laughs> but I started doing music videos. So um, Hype Williams and people like that yeah. were kind of, yeah. I was all over the place, to be honest, yeah. which, which I think is a, a good thing to, to be, be I diverse mean, right. and- just do whatever. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. black music is animated. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> um, for me, uh, it was it was Stewart Scott, mm-hmm. the, the great yeah. sportscaster yeah. from the '90s. When yeah. I was a kid, waking up uh, for school, and you know he would come, you know, talk about cool as cool as the other side of the pillow and, yeah. and stuff like that, right? Stuart, and so it, it, it was a and it was an era where you know. First of all, there wasn't many black sportscasters, yeah. and they definitely wasn't talking like that. Yeah. And so, like, what I do now is like I I try to keep that in mind to like be as authentic as, as Stuart Scott. And so that was that was a big North Star for me.
3: Absolutely. It's funny, for me it was local people in my community, like a Andrea Perry, like mm-hmm. a Donna L. They're sitting in the room. Yeah. Like those were the people, EJ and Eric on the radio in the morning. Like yeah, local yeah. radio yeah. was yeah. everything for yeah. me growing up. So locally it was just a lot of influence of people that looked like me, that were doing great things in the community and that were telling stories in a way that I could receive them. And then it goes on to expand in film and things of that nature but just a lot of local people who are just the bomb
2: Mm. absolutely that's
3: great
4: thank Thank you Dan thank you Dan hi everyone thank you so much for being here um gosh I'm a very (laughs) short person (laughs) um so my name is Jennifer Thurston I'm also a veteran so thank you for your service so much and I have a home in Santa Monica, but I decided I wanted to go and get my MFA in film and media art in D.C. Okay. So that's where I am at American University right now, finishing that up, because I wanted to be an influencer and yeah. be around influencers. And that's exactly what's happening. So, um, But my question, well, funny antidote. So I took a social media marketing class because it's really important. Everyone else was in their 20s. And the professor was going through, who uses Facebook? Who uses LinkedIn? I was the only one that raised my hand. He said, uh, who, uses the I, uh, who uses IG? I'm like, what does the IG have yeah, to do yeah. with it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm just wondering, with us being in this space and it's just me, how do we stay in the moment but still put the content, because it was this... Social media class was great, how we can manage our, yeah. but there's still time involved and we have to take pictures and video and post it. Yeah. But I, I want to be in the moment and then I want to get a couple hours sleep. <laughs> Maybe.
1: That is my biggest struggle is social media content. I have such an aversion to it. Yeah. And yeah. it's so strange because that's how, I, again, that's how <laughs> I ended up here. But I think having a plan.
3: Yeah.
1: You have to plan, you, mm-hmm. have to, you have to plan, you have to create, and then you just have to post. Maybe not, maybe don't do everything in the moment yeah. because you want to also live mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. You want to experience things mm-hmm. as a real human. Yeah. So make a, make a plan, make a schedule, go yeah. out, know exactly what you want to create, what you want to shoot, when you want to post it, yeah. and then post it. Yeah, That, that would be my advice.
2: Yeah. I don't like social media. Like, the, 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 I'm sorry. It. It's you know, it's. it's <laughs> I, I, I don't I, because the thing is, it's just like it, it is what it is. You know, yep. the, the type of stuff that's on there, whatever. However, um, for me, if, if if that's your thing and you have an aversion to social media, go to organizations and platforms who already have a pre-installed yep. social media following partner with them you know something that's similar to what you're doing partner with them and say hey you know let's like let me license some content for you that way you still own the IP but you're still getting your stuff out there and they still know you created it right so it- it's not a big deal so it's almost like you can kind of circumvent the this whole I gotta build on my social media following my-, my I got more following than followers and like it just becomes a whole thing because for me I'm-, I'm so focused on trying to make sure the quality of the the uh, primary content is high that if I start diluting into other stuff, the primary content's gonna go down.
0: Can we take the Can we take the next question? You, and you want to maybe you want to answer this one? Hello, dear. How are you?
2: Maybe you do want to answer this one.
0: <laughs> how are you doing, darling?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. Um, as storytellers, so often
4: the stories we want to tell are in search of advocacy or trying yeah. to make change. And often, the audience we need to reach to make that change is not the audience that wants to hear those stories.
0: Yeah, yeah. How do yeah. we
4: bridge that gap and tell the stories that matter
1: to the people that need to hear them rather than preaching to the choir?
0: Ain't, ain't that the truth.
1: When you find out, you <laughs> let me know, because I have no idea.
0: Uh, you're right, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, It's, it's a hard one. I mean, I mean... Who needs to hear that black people are human and nuanced and that, like, black people can be gender nonconforming and black people can be, you know, poor and dignified? Like, who needs to hear that? It's not black people. We know that. There
1: has to be a willingness to be open. They have to seek, unfortunately. um, I always say, like, it's it's not on us to educate people all the time on all the things. You have to want to know it. You have to want to learn it. So I don't. I, I don't have the an answer to that. I wish. I wish I had an answer.
3: I, I would say get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it is okay to challenge the status quo. I think it's okay to, no, not, not necessarily confrontational, but it's okay to have an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. I'm not trying to educate you, school you, like, you know, make you this scholar in the subject mm-hmm. matter, but I am willing to stand on what I know. I'm mm-hmm. willing to stand on my experiences, and I'm willing to share those with people who don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, you also have the opportunity to get that message to people's ears um, that otherwise wouldn't know you exist or wouldn't be willing to even have that dialogue and that exchange. Mm -hmm. So, and also I think you should post on platforms that you're also not comfortable with as well. There are so many uh, sites uh, that don't conform to probably your thought process and you can challenge them on their own platforms. Go to where they're at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Hello, dear
3: hi I'm Kenda (laughs) okay so I read this article once that um, I think it was like a Hollywood producer or executive or something and he this quote stands out in my mind where he said there are no more stories in Hollywood and I couldn't pass up the, uh, the opportunity to ask you dope black creators what you would say to that producer
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, it may feel like it because they keep regurgitating the oh, same yeah. stories absolutely.
0: every... Absolutely.
1: I mean, I, I don't want to see the, the Wonder Years is you know, yeah. with the black family. And it, it's cre- there's so much IP. There's yeah. so much original IP. Yeah. You could throw a rock and somebody has an idea oh, for absolutely. a new television show. Yeah. Um, this is where the gatekeeping comes in.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, because there's only so many people who control yeah. what actually is created...
0: Yeah,
1: I don't know people have to die off or I don't know what the answer
0: is. And some of our most successful content has been the stories we hadn't seen before. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, Mo was a huge hit on mm, Netflix. We yep. hadn't seen Palestinians mm-hmm. in Houston before. Exactly. And there are a lot of them. Yeah. Right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was just going to say it's literally what, you, what we've all been doing. Like, you're utilizing YouTube and you're yeah. putting your stories out on these free platforms. Yeah, yeah. And you, the audience find you. Like, you're yeah, like, yeah. I really like this. This is important to me. And then there are hundreds of thousands of people that are like, this is important to me, too. So I think, I think that's what we've all been doing, yeah. and that's really how our audience find us and also how we build community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Abby. Hey. Hello. Good morning. Um, my name is Holly
1: Charles Pearson. I'm a writer and storyteller, so I really appreciated just hi, learning hi. all of these different perspectives from various forms of communication, so thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I have a question when, and I wanted to write it down so I didn't fumble it once I got here. (laughs) Uh, You know how that happens. It's like a totally different question afterwards. But when gatekeepers and executives try to suppress or alter your vision, Mm -hmm. how do you push back in a way that still keeps you psychologically safe because you're at work? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, that's a great
4: question,
0: yeah. I mean, you talk Mm. about anxiety. Yeah,
1: I'm full of it. I'm riddled with anxiety (laughs) now, thanks to what I've chosen to do as a profession. (laughs) Um, I just try to keep in mind, like I said, the world and these characters that I created. Yeah. I want to make decisions um, for them that I think would do them the least amount of harm. But yeah. also, keeping in mind that I, unless I just create stuff for social media by myself, and which I've already said I hate it, social mm-hmm. media, social media, mm-hmm. I have to keep in mind that I do have to compromise. Mm-hmm. But I can also say no, and then what's the worst that can happen? Is the worst is that it won't get made. Yeah, yeah. But to me, that's almost better than putting some shit out there. Yeah, that you, that, yeah, that, that you, you like, will regret yeah, forever. So
3: absolutely. you just have to know when to yeah. hold them,
2: know when to fold and them, and when to fold them. Yeah. Um, I
3: think. I think for me, when. Um, producing this documentary for Mumu Moo Moo Fresh. She has a vision of how she wants it to be. Yeah. And and also as a person that has to edit and like see her vision and we don't see it the same way sometimes. I think it's really important to have that come to Jesus. Like, have that, like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? How do we meet in the middle? Because, you know, creating a documentary, it is literally just a stream of consciousness of, you know, their experiences. And we have to weave in a story that makes sense. So it's like all of these experiences, you can't get everything into one um, documentary, but what are the notes, nuts and bolts of it? And so that's what I think about. Meat and potatoes um, is what we call it in radio. Like, just give people the meat and potatoes. So for me, it's like, okay, when I'm working on a project with someone, what it, what's the meat and potatoes we want them to take away? And I think that's important when messaging. and. And you may agree or you may not agree, and there are creative differences, but, again, you got to find a happy median and that compromise to get to the end result.
2: If I could just really quickly, I, I think it's important to have negotiables and non-negotiables, you know, that you're willing to whatever. And, you know, to Manira's point, maybe the worst is that it won't get made or the worst is that it won't get made yet, because, because if somebody saw value in what you're trying to create and then they ultimately didn't see the value, somebody else is gonna see it. So you, you keep creating that content and eventually somebody is gonna figure out like, nah, we need this out there.
0: Yeah. And we have with our four minutes, I'd love to get your question and maybe we can have whoever wants to field it with our four minutes left.
4: Thank you. Um, hello everybody, I'm Skyla, I'm from the Met, I'm also very short. <laughs> So this is a struggle. You're you're working with the mic. (laughs) Um, I guess my question for you guys is um, when you guys are in the creative process or the pre-production process, how do you stop yourself from kind of getting stuck in that process and just kind of spinning your wheels, spinning your wheels? Who wants to take that? And how do you you know when to press go?
2: Yeah. There are times where I'm creating content and I I, I do feel stuck. And I was like... Do I, do I go in the direction of telling the story about the Germans or do yeah. I tell the story about the, uh, the Japanese in this World War II piece? And so honestly, it, you know, Occam's razor, do what's simple. Just go outside and take a walk. Yeah. J- yeah. J- just yeah. go outside and take a walk. <laughs> get, yeah. get away from the content yeah. because the more you try to force yeah, yeah, it, the, m- yeah. the worse it's yeah. going to get. It's, it's like quicksand.
1: It's a part of the process. Right. Like, I don't know a single writer, producer, whoever, that doesn't yes. have a stuck mm-hmm. moment. I would suggest an edible if. That,
4: yeah, if yeah you're right, into right, 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 right. Um, Unplug your mind. Maybe right, some,
0: right. Quit,
1: some sex. Right. I don't know. Do what works for you. Yeah. But don't feel bad about being stuck. And that it is just the means, process. You know, yeah, you, you don't is. get out of these. So
0: we have with our three minutes. I want you. I want you all to speak to the young kid trying to get started in content. I want you to talk to the vet who's like switching up her life, going back <laughs> to school to do her content. Right. I want. What are your sort of. Two words that you're like, I wish I would have kept these in mind when I started, or I did keep these in mind.
2: Create with conviction, confidence, and, and fidelity.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't have just two words. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> i just hey. I mean, I would say don't feel bad about being the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, yeah. the ass shaker, the backbreaker, all the things that you have to do to get your work out. You may feel like, well, I'm, I should be getting to this quicker No. You know, it's going to happen when it happens. Don't feel bad. Just keep going. Please do not dilute your voice because literally that is the only thing that makes you special. That's the only thing that separates you from everybody else in this room. And I know it's cliche, but it's the truth. Okay. So that that would be my.
3: I think you have to find your why. Why is this important? Why are you creating this content? Why do you want people to know this information from you? I think um, once you know why you want to do what you do, it helps you to move and to really move in a way that you are confident and you feel good about the con. Like I go to bed, I sleep so good. Because I know what I've put out. I'm very proud of it. I'm very steadfast in my conviction that this was amazing. Yeah. And this is, this is important. And this is important to other people and not just myself. So I think that's important. And I want to create an experience. I want you to leave feeling like it was a vibe. Like, oh, I want to be around more Nori. Um, so I think that's important, too. So it, it is about how you make people feel. Um, and, and it's okay to, to challenge those feelings, yeah. too. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we are landing this plane on the dime. That is our time. Yeah. I want to thank our audience for being here. <laughs> thank you all. This is really so enjoyable and seeing your faces. I want to thank our panelists for coming down Ooh. to Austin. Thank you. And thank I want to thank Sanaa Laybourne who put this all together, <laughs> our organizer, who put this all together. This was her brainchild. Thank you, Sanaa, for bringing us all, and thank you for being here. Thank (laughs) you, guys.